All right, that song, that song says it all. That's, that's what this, um, you know, this lesson is about. Am I on? That's what this lesson is about tonight, that it's all about the worthiness of Christ, that Jesus Christ truly is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. And uh, excited about what God has in store for us tonight and what He has in store for, uh, for His church. Um, Revelation chapter number 5 tonight. Revelation chapter number 5 is where we shall be. Revelation chapter 5. Hopefully everyone has um, a study guide if you need it and ready to go. Revelation chapter number 5. All right, as we had mentioned last week in Revelation chapter 4, we're going to start speeding up a little bit. You know, it took us, uh, it took us about seven weeks to go through the seven churches. Am I on, Mike? Okay, maybe I just can't hear. Um, it took us about seven weeks to go through the uh, churches in, in, in Revelation, those two chapters, but we're going to start speeding up a little bit. Um, most of the rest of the way, it'll probably be about a chapter per week. There's some that we'll, we'll break it up into two or three segments, um, but you know, there, there's a lot of ground to cover, and, and again, I'm not going to just dwell on things that don't need to be dwelled on. Uh, but we're going to try to hit the highlights and the keynotes of what needs to be uh, talked about and what needs to be applied in and through our lives. Um, you know, I was really kind of hesitant to do this series, uh, not because I'm afraid of Revelation. I've done a couple different studies within it, um, but I know it's very easy to get bogged down in the things that really don't matter. Um, but, you know, Lord's kind of revigorated me um, you know, for, for this study of his word. So excited about it. And we should finish probably sometime uh, mid-late April, Lord willing, if we, if we stay on track. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, you know, in Revelation chapter 4, as we talked about, John had showed us a vision of a glimpse inside the throne room, the throne room of heaven. And one thing I mentioned last week, Chuck Swindoll, a preacher, he said, we miss it when our focus becomes horizontal. And a lot of times our focus becomes horizontal, talking about each other. Now, understand what he's saying. Yes, we need to focus on other people. But the point he's making is that we miss it when our focus becomes horizontal, riveted on people and things, rather than the vertical centered on God and God alone. What he is saying is really before we focus on others, we have to keep our focus on God intact where it needs to be. Because then, as we're focusing vertical relationship with God, it helps us reach out into the horizontal relationship with other people. And really, Revelation 4 and 5 is key setting up Revelation chapter 6 and everything moving forward as we usher in, you know, chapter 6. You know, it's, gonna, it's, already, it's already exciting. And, you know, these are some of my favorite chapters uh, within Revelation. There's, I've heard a lot of messages and a lot of uh, references preached to Revelation 4 and 5. We get into chapter 6, and the first part, it's about the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So, you know, it's, it's, it's about to just take off. So, so hold on. Uh, but we have to remember that God still has a plan for our life. I think Adrian Rogers was one that said, if you woke up this morning, that means God still has a plan for you. And we have to understand that God has a plan that He is not finished with us. He is not finished with His church. And as we've looked at in chapter 4 and even chapter 5 tonight, it's all about describing or ascribing worth to the only one who is worthy. And the only one who is truly worthy of our worship is Jesus Christ. And really, first thing I have in your notes, and we talked about this last week, worship does not lead to an encounter with God. Worship is an encounter with God. It's being in God's presence and, and enjoying God's presence in our lives. 
And what we're trying to discover within our church is to try to have the proper perspective as we study God's Word. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but um, there are a lot of worldviews out there, are there not? There are a lot of different beliefs that people have, and and I'm not going to name all of them, but really, as a Christian, our worldview should be biblical, (laughs) to say the least. Our worldview should be gospel-centric or gospel-centered. And if our worldview is anything but that, then we'll never truly understand what Scripture is trying to teach us. And we'll never truly try to apply it in our lives. And really, when you think about it, there is no hope for mankind if our hope is anchored in our abilities. If you place your hope in another human being, you will be let down, won't you? It's going to happen. Every single one of us in here has been let down by another human being. Every kid in here has been let down by your parents at one point in your life. And if you haven't, uh, it's going to happen because they are human. They are sinful. It's going to, to take place. But if the gospel is our true priority, if God is our end goal, then when faced with uncertainty in life, and really when you study the book of Revelation, it should give you a reassuring hope, not all the trouble that's about to take place in Revelation 6 moving forward, but that everything that's going to happen is under God's control. Everything that's going to happen is God's plan, and that's where we find hope as a Christian. And Revelation, as I've said since chapter 1, should not scare the Christian. It shouldn't, because it's all about Jesus Christ, and we, His church, are victorious It should scare a lost person. It should scare someone that is not saved, that has never trusted Jesus as their Savior. And one of the the, the truths that we'll unpack tonight and even last week is that everything, all things are under the sovereign control and secure control of our great God because in heaven there is a lion who is also a lamb and he has the whole world on his heart and in his hands. You see, Revelation chapter 4 focuses on God the Father and creation, while Revelation chapter 5 focuses on God the Son and redemption. Revelation 5 teaches us that the Lamb of God is a missionary Lamb who is in control, who is supremely worthy. In the Old Testament, we see the Lamb on an altar and His blood on the Passover doorpost. In the Gospels, that Lamb is on the cross, and in Revelation, He is on the throne, and we should be excited about that. Let's go ahead and dig in tonight. Revelation 5, 1 through 7. The first thing we see, and I'll read these verses, is this. The worthiness of Christ. The worthiness of Christ. Look what it says. And I saw, this is John speaking. Remember, this is the vision as he's entering and and become into the throne room of heaven. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. You know, we're going to be talking about some of those, those seal judgments and the opening of those. Um, verse number two, or first of all, let me, let me say this. Now, let me give you a quick reminder. Go back to chapter one, because this is important. Because as he says, there's a book uh, written within, um, and, he, and he's holding it, and he saw on the right hand of that. Back in chapter 1, verse number 16, remember it says, and he, talking about Jesus, he had in his right hand seven stars. Does anybody remember what the right hand signifies? What? Yes, authority. So what this is saying is that Jesus Christ has full authority. Full authority over all things, just like in chapter 1 leading up to chapter 2. He has the churches in his hand. He has full authority. And that's what it's telling us here, that 
all authority is given to God and to his son, Jesus Christ. And what John sees in this very first verse is he sees the seven sealed scroll in the hand of God. And the scroll could not be read because it was rolled up and sealed like a Roman will with seven seals. And John could see writing on both sides of the scroll, which meant that nothing more could be added. Nothing could be taken away. That what was written was final. What was written was complete. And I saw, verse number two, a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Now, quickly, I want you to note something within Revelation chapter five. Uh, There's at least four or five references to worthiness. Uh, If you, you know, in the habit of circling, underlining, highlighting your Bible, uh, just check this out. Verse number two, who is worthy? Verse number four, it says, and I wept because no man was found worthy. Uh, Verse number nine, and they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy, the third reference there. And then in verse number 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. We just sang about that tonight. So worthy is a, uh, worthiness is a key in Revelation chapter five. But as he sees this scroll, it, it, it's, it's really overcoming John with all of this emotion as, as he sees this angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? To open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. It just, it, it, it just overwhelmed John as he's looking. Now, quickly, what is this scroll? This scroll is very significant. The simplest explanation of the scroll is really this. It's, it's really, it's the title deed to the earth. Or you can explain it this way. It really, it contains the rest of Revelation. It contains the rest of what's about to happen as we see chapter 6 moving forward. And really within this, this scroll within, that is uh, sealed up with these seven seals, it is a book of, and write this down, it's a book of judgment. It's a book of salvation, and it's a book of restoration. You see, it's a book of judgment because it's judgment about the seals. Verse number six, the the seals judgment, the trumpet judgments, and and the bowl judgments. It's also about the judgment of the lake of fire that we find out later in Revelation chapter 20. Of salvation to both Jew and Gentile, to all who will believe in restoration that there will be a new heaven, there will be a new earth, there will be a new Jerusalem. And again, this mighty angel back in verse number two, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? You know, for a brief moment, a survey of heaven revealed that there was no one worthy. No one was worthy to possess the merit, to approach God, to take the seal, to usher in the eschaton, which is the final event. And John begins to weep. And I want you to understand something significant, and most of us might already know this, but whoever can legitimately open this scroll has the authority over all creation. Its importance cannot be understated. Yet no one in heaven, not any angelic being, not anyone that is alive or uh, is already dead, not anyone that is you know, famous in our Bible history like Abraham and Moses and David and Isaac and Jeremiah and Hezekiah and all of those prophets, not James or Peter or the Apostle Paul, no one in heaven could open this book. 
And that's why John was overwhelmed because as they look, there's no one worthy. No one is worthy to look upon this and to open this book. And what we see next is really this, the power of the Lord on full display. The power of the Lord on full display. Look at verse number five. And one of the elders saith unto me, hey, weep not. Hey, why are you crying? (laughs) Quit your crying. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereon. Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? Who is the root of David? Jesus. He is the only one who is worthy. So the angel or this elder is saying, hey, don't weep because there is someone who is worthy. It's Jesus Christ himself. Look, the lion is the king of beasts. A lion represents a majestic and powerful animal. The Jews were looking for a lion-like Messiah. They were looking for someone who would take over the tyranny and the control over the Roman government who had just, you know, had put their, their, their fist upon them and were ruling and reigning over them. And they were looking, the Jews were looking for that, that majestic leader, that lion-like leader that was just going to take control and take charge. But what they got was not what they expected. <laughs> because yes, he is the lion of Judah, but what came was a lamb that was slain. And there's a huge difference between a lion and a lamb, isn't there? Look at verse number six. We continue on. I want you to notice this, the position of the Lord. The position of the Lord, verse number six. And I beheld John, as he's saying, lo, in the midst of the throne. This is what I want you to notice. Notice where Jesus is. In the middle of it all. In the center of the throne room. And of the four beasts in the midst of the elders, as we talked about last week, stood a what? Lamb. As it had been slain or slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So as it's talking about verse number one, that's talking about God who has the authority over everything. And no one in heaven was worthy except for his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and took the seal or took the scroll out of the hand of God because only he is worthy in all history. All of the Bible is all pointing to Jesus Christ and his worthiness. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So what we see here, the position of the Lord, that he is standing in the center of everything. And what a picture of great power as John turns around and he sees this picture of a lamb. Now, I want you to notice something very important or note something very important. That the word lamb is a very special word used 29 times in Revelation. And only once outside of this book in reference to Jesus. 28 of the times that lamb is used, it points to Jesus. The one time it is used that doesn't point to Jesus when it talks about the false prophet who portrayed himself like a lamb. Really, that lamb that is a false prophet is really, it's not Jesus, it's the, the enemy, it's the dragon who looks like a lamb, who looks like a friend, but is actually the true enemy. And the theme of the lamb is an amazing study throughout Scripture because everything points back to the warrior lamb, Jesus Christ. You see, the lamb took our place and bore our sins. And get this down, the lamb is victorious. And what we see is this, the lamb is victorious because of this. He was slaughtered, 
And it's just up there for you. He was slaughtered. He is standing. He is strong. He is searching. He is sovereign. We'll just leave that up there and let everyone take the time to get that down. But the lamb has been slain, has been slaughtered. This speaks of a violent, bloody sacrifice. It describes the glory or the gory crucifixion of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thorns pierced in his skull, a whip lacerated his back, fists bruised his face, nails gouged his hands, a spear tore his side. Not only was this lamb slain, but this lamb was standing there in the center of everything. And this is symbolic of Christ's resurrection when he rose victoriously from the grave and helping us understand that death cannot defeat him. Death defeats us, but it cannot defeat Jesus Christ. And he is declaring his great worth. He was slain, he was standing, but we see his great strength as it says in verse number six, uh, having seven horns and seven eyes. The, uh, the, the seven horns are a picture uh, 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 indicative of his total kingship on this earth. The eyes represent his wisdom, his knowledge that he is searching everywhere. It talks about his perfection and his completeness. And here's what's awesome about this whole picture. The lion gets the victory through the tactics of the lamb. Because Jesus is a lion-like lamb and a lamb-like lion. He has the right to bring the world to an end for his glory of his name and the good of his people. You know, most of us know the, the, the old little poem or song, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Someone changed the words some time ago to God's perfect lamb. And they wrote this, Mary had a little lamb. His soul was white as snow. And anywhere his father sent, the lamb was sure to go. He came to earth to die one day, the sin of man to atone. And now he reigns in heaven alone. He's the lamb upon the throne. And that's who Jesus Christ is. Man, praise God for that. So the first thing we see in verses 1 through 7, we see the, the, worship, or the, uh, the worthiness of Christ, excuse me, the worthiness of Christ that only he is worthy as John is looking around. Who is worthy as the angel declares? John found no one, but there was one who was worthy. And then the last thing we see in verses 8 through 14 is this, the worship of all creation. Look at verse number 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders, what did they do immediately once Jesus Christ took the book, took the scroll? What did they do? They fell down. What does that mean? They fell down and worshiped because he alone is worthy of all worship. Verse number eight again, they all fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps, Golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book to open the seal thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Every, I mean, think about that. Every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation. And I was reading something this week and it was kind of an eye-opening thing. Um, I hopefully I don't get it wrong, but I think there's something like 1,400 unreached people groups in the world. 1,400 unreached people groups in the world. That's, that's just astounding, isn't it? And I think I shared a little bit on Sunday that there's at least like, what, 2.3 or 3.2 billion that have never been reached with the gospel. Now, in Revelation 5, 9, it's saying that every tribe, every nation, every kindred will be represented. 
Do you know what that means? Every tribe, every nation, every kindred, every tongue will be in heaven. doesn't mean everyone will, but there will be a representative of that. So really what, what it shows me and something I was reading, kind of an eye-opening thing, but you know, unless they're not unreached, you know, people talk about, well, the end is near, and, and it very well could be, and really the end has been near since Jesus left, right? But what that shows me is that there is still an open door, is there not? Even though there's 1,400 unreached people groups, which is astounding, what we have to take from this, especially in our American Christianity, is who is going to reach them? If they're all supposed to be in heaven, worshiping around the Lamb and centered around the throne, who is going to reach them? Who's it going to be? It's got to be us. And I'm not necessarily talking just us as Eagle Drive, but it's got to be us as who? Christians, right? As children of God. It is our responsibility when God has given us an amazing message, the message of the gospel, to not hold it in as we do so often, but to go out and share it with other people. That's part of the reason why we're going to be starting to take more mission trips, because it's our responsibility to reach the unreached. They're not going to be reached if we don't reach them. That's the simple truth. Did you get that? They are not going to be reached unless we reach them with the gospel. So what are we doing? And I'm sure some of you are tired of hearing me say that continually and the conviction, but it's true. Because the conviction is there in my heart as well. But the the reality is some of us will never do anything to reach someone else with the gospel. And what that shows me is maybe you're not even saved. If you're not even willing to go out of your comfort zone to reach someone else, well, they need to die and go to hell. That's a wrong attitude. That's a wrong mentality. Yeah, there are a lot of people that deserve death and deserve hell, but so do we. We're not for the grace of God. And what this verse is showing me and teaching me that there are countless thousands upon thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that'll be gathered around the throne from every tribe, from every tongue, from every people, from every nation. So if in order for that to happen, we are God's emissaries, meaning we are God's messengers. Matthew 28, he gave us what? A commission. He gave us a mission. The mission is to be gone out and Done, right? As I said on Sunday, you know, I, I used Nate as a reference. You know, I told him that, you know, Nate, why don't you just stay in your video game? You know, stay, stay in that level. He's like, Dad, no, I want to finish the game, right, Nate? You want to finish Epic Mickey, right? Yeah. yeah. He wants to beat the whole game. Yeah, but he gets Epic Mickey. So he wants, then he wants to get the second one. Uh, <laughs> he wants to beat the game because that's the reason why you play the game, to beat the game. But a lot of Christians don't realize that the reason that God has saved us is to go and tell other people to complete the mission. The mission is not completed if we are doing nothing. Is it? No. So again, it is time that we wake up of our own shell, of our own selfishness, and go out and reach people with the gospel. It's not enough to stay in Decatur and reach people with the gospel. It's not enough to stay in Wise County. It's not enough to stay in Texas. We must go out into the world, right? Collectively. So what are we doing if we're not reaching people? And what we see in this picture in verses 8 through 14 is really three beautiful songs that were sung in heaven quickly. We see the first thing is this, the song by the saints. This is the Christian's. Jesus takes the scroll and really 
all heaven breaks loose. You know, it, it, it astounds me. You know, some people can't even sing on this earth. And they're like, well, I'm just waiting until I get to heaven. Because like the song says, when we all get to heaven, we'll sing and shout the victory. Yeah, I understand that. That's what the Bible says. But you should be singing and shouting the victory right here on this earth. Because all worship is described to Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy. You know, we'll sing and blare out, you know, whatever ungodly music that we have in our cars and our radios and our iPads and our iPods and all that kind of stuff, but we won't even sing out and worship Jesus Christ. What's up with that? Seriously. Well, it's kind of boring. Well, get your priorities straightened out. Because one day, even if you're not saved, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So quit waiting until you get to heaven to sing and shout. Sing and shout and praise and worship here right now. And that's what we see that it's a song sung by all the saints. All the saints have in their possession harps or instruments of praise and the prayers of the saints in both praise and prayer. What this is showing us is that they are bending their knee and falling down in worship. Why? Because Jesus Christ was slain. He was slaughtered. But also because he was redeemed. Look at verse number uh, verse number nine. And they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou was slain. That's why. Also, thou hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And that's the awesome thing too. As kings, we reign with him. As priests, we serve him. God made us to be kings and priests. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, as Paul told us. So we see the song by the saints. The second song is the song by the angels, verse 11 and 12. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels. Now they get on the worship. Many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then we sing verse, see verse 13 and 14, the, the song by all creation. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all they that heard I sing, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Just because your timer went off doesn't mean I'm done. <laughs> and the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. This chapter culminates in a magnificent scene of worship as really the number reaches millions upon millions as they sang the song and repeat the word worthy. All of heaven's praise came because the lamb took the scroll from the father's hand. God's eternal plan would now be fulfilled and creation would be set free from the bondage of sin and death. I want you to keep in mind that all of this praise is centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the important thing, as it says in these verses, it's not Christ the teacher, but Christ the Savior who redeemed us, who purchased us. You know, I've often thought, and I've already kind of mentioned this, but, you know, why do we have such a difficult time worshiping and praising God on earth? You know, maybe the reason we don't worship, maybe the reason we don't praise is because there's nothing to worship. And what I mean by that is we're not truly saved. Because if you can't worship and you can't praise God, 
then maybe you're not even saved. Because if you are, if you've been redeemed, then it should come out of you. Right? I read this some time ago. Pastor in California, Stephen Chapel, he said, if you want your people to serve Jesus, then lead them to worship Jesus. And really, that's what it comes down to. You know, it's not just pointing people to serve and trying to push people to serve. Once you start worshiping Jesus, and then once you start worshiping Jesus, you'll realize that it's important to serve Jesus as well. And our service won't be, well, I'll serve here, 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 but not here. Is that true service? Saying where I will serve and where I will not serve. Is that true service? Is that what Jesus said for us? Well, I will save only a few of you. For God so the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, right? God, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And here's the key truth that we see in Revelation chapter 5. And then we're going to end. We're going to end with the song tonight. I'm going to have Amanda sing a song. Jesus Christ stands victorious at the center of the throne room because he alone is worthy to take the scroll, open the seal, and he alone deserves our undivided worship. Question in verse number two. Who is worthy? Who is worthy to open the book, to open the scroll, to loose the seals as we'll see in the coming chapters? Is anyone worthy? There's, there's no one found in heaven. Verse four. But then you look around and they see a new song as the lamb comes and, and takes the scroll because he is worthy. He is worthy because it's all about him. I'm going to have Amanda close tonight with the song and then I'll pray and we'll dismiss this. I want you to listen to the words. Some of us maybe have already heard the song, but it's just a song entitled, Is Anyone Worthy? And it's all from Revelation chapter 5. good
Slip. 